One, two, three, and four more make seven. Six is afraid of seven, cause seven ain't nine. Nine was minding his business, talking to ten about Gordy House clothes. Why seven, eight, nine? Nobody knows. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten. What about nine? Seven, eight, nine. Okay, welcome to episode nine of Ask Alex on the OneOuter.com podcast with me, Barry Chalmers, and Alex Assassinato Fitzgerald. How are you today, Alex? I'm doing good, Barry. Thank you for having me on again. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. You know that. I, you know, um, what we're looking to do is the usual format, answer lots of questions of which there's been... I think this is the highest amount of questions we've had, which, uh, while Alex just scratches on his decks there, I'm not sure what that noise was. <laughs> oh, no, no, something came up. I'm sorry. The, the, internet, <laughs> the internet in my area just has been a little... It, it is Costa Rica. I forget that on occasion that this is Central America, but once in a while my internet makes some close encounters of the third kind noises on Skype. Sorry about that. It's good. Well, it's actually quite heavy snow in Scotland just now as well. Um, so, uh, but obviously all the broadband cables are underground here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they should be fine. Um, so, barring any internet connection problems, um, what we're looking to do is, as I say, this is the most amount of questions we've had in for a show. So, uh, thanks for the support. Lots more of you sharing it on Twitter and Facebook and things like that. And a few guys have been emailing me that. They said they've just discovered the podcast and things like that. And obviously a lot of the diehards that have been there since day one, uh, keep, you know, keep all the questions coming. It's as I was actually saying to Alex before we started recording, it's uh, you guys that make the show. Um, I don't really do anything now apart from read out the questions and, you know, Alex does all the answers. So keep them coming in. Um, certainly makes my life easier. Um, any little bits of agenda, let me think. Uh yeah, I think the last podcast, we still had the league to decide. The league was decided. It was actually joint points with Trouble999 and Paulo ENTS, I think, was his username, Portuguese guy. And I thought, great, you know, that's just my luck. The league's a tiebreaker. We're going to have to try and do something to find out who wins the hour with Alex and, you know, all the other prizes. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe they can play heads up, maybe they can do this. And a few of you on Twitter and Facebook were saying, chop the prizes and things like that. And then Paulo, uh, the Portuguese guy, just came out and says, uh, I don't want to fucking speak to Alex. You know, <laughs> just just Trouble 999 can have it sort of thing. He didn't say that, obviously. But he came out and said um, he would prefer that the lesson went to Trouble 999 as he had been near the top for all the season. And I think it was um, a language issue and he wanted um, merchandise. He wanted like poker books and stuff like that. So he kindly came out and said, you know, uh, give the lesson with Alex to Trouble 999. A guy, uh, Alan, uh, is his uh, real life name. So he won the lesson with Alex and all the other prizes. So that saved uh, any hassle of a tiebreaker. We're going to be doing another league next year, but as I mentioned during the tournaments, we're going to do a like a holiday special. Um, we are saying goodbye to PokerXFactor.com as strategy partners. Um, so as a sort of like token gesture, those guys are going to give us a lot of 
poker books, uh, free months at their site and bits and pieces. So we're going to do a big tournament either end of December or first or second week of January. And that'll be a one-off uh, holiday special tournament with all the prizes sort of like handed in by Poker X Factor. So there'll be details on oneouter.com and in the next podcast. Um, we'll keep you up to date with that. Um, anything you've got coming up or just happened, Alex? No, I uh, just want to thank our Portuguese friend here for conceding. I, I was about to say I'll just give them both a lesson. If he's still interested, I mean, I, if there's a language barrier, I understand. But it, it was uh, – I, I was like uh, – if he wants the merchandise, I understand that too. And I, I assume you compensated him in some fashion, right? Yeah, well, I said, well, I, what would you like? And he's, he said in Portugal, there isn't much poker merchandise like books and clothing and things like that. And he was wanting uh, that sort of stuff. Um, so, I mean, I said to him, like about the lessons, you, you want the lesson and stuff like that. And he says... Oh, I think the lesson. I think it was a time issue as well with his work or something. Just uh, trying, okay. to get, trying to arrange time and um, you know, and I, I think there was a little bit of language that he says maybe he wouldn't get a lot out. You know, he, he thinks Trouble Nine Nine would get more out of the lesson or something. And but I'll certainly email him. And if you are listening, Paolo, if you do want the lesson um, instead of the other bits and pieces, then then let us know. I mean, he's going to receive a couple of T-shirts anyway, as he knocked me out in two tournaments. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> he, he actually won the last two tournaments back-to-back. Um, you know, he came from nowhere. That's why, as I say, Trouble 999 was near the top or leading it for most of the, the series. And then this Paolo guy came out and won the October one and the November one back-to-back and knocked me out twice. Wow, I mean... Yeah, we want to compensate him for that rush. It's it's really yeah. cool to everybody listening. Thank you guys so much for, you know, adding us on the Facebook group and tweeting me and tweeting Barry. All that stuff is so fun. We're so happy to do these tournaments with you guys and give you guys free stuff. And we're going to try to hook it up again. Thank you for coming out. This is it's so cool to have this come from behind story and then the guys tying and then, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it does help, like we've said in previous podcasts. It, the podcast's free, and we're going to keep it that way. Um, and it just helps us, you know, with the sponsors. Obviously, William Hill are sponsoring the site, and if you set up an account with William Hill and even play one tournament or a few hands of poker and stuff like that, it helps us out with a little bit of revenue and helps keep the site going with, you know, uh, all that sort of nonsense. So, um, yeah, it would definitely help. Uh, sort of appreciate your help rather um, as also just Alex I was reading on your Facebook recently that you seem to have been playing a bit more recently and you've had some results and I read about a 16k stone bubble last night or that. <laughs> you want to tell us about that it's my second uh, PCA stone bubble it's uh, but no I mean you know this is how this is how satellites go one of the things I complain about the most is that they give so much money to like half the field in most of these majors that when you do finally win one it's not really worth as much as it used to be because of this i've had to really adjust my style uh to not be so run and gun and to actually really pay attention to icm factors and not you know and collect those min caches and ladder up when it's 
available to you and instead of inducing maybe just shoving on the guy because stack retention is such a valuable component to today's game because it's more about laddering up because first place isn't really worth what it used to be with the satellites you just get rid of all of that and it's you know first place gets 45 percent of the money second place gets 45 percent of the money and the rest of you chumps can split 10 percent which is a dream to me because i love that pressure but the flip side to that is once in a while you bubble $32,000. So, you know, I it, it was a bummer, but, you know, I hung out with my wife afterward and, you know, had a, had a good dinner and, you know, chilled out. I was, it was all good. Best of luck to those guys. I hope you guys have a good time in the Bahamas. Yeah. Will you still be going to the PCA? Or? Yeah, I'm going to be playing uh, now that I got everything figured out with my house and everything i i it, when i was 24 i i look back at poker and i was like wow i have millions in earnings on and off the felt i've been all over the world i've lived in different continents and i have nothing to show for it like just no savings no nothing so it was really important to me for a couple of years to save up some money and actually invest it in something and uh, getting married of course was uh, a bit of a Due to the legal process of me being American and her being a Costa Rican, that was actually somewhat of a time and financial investment along with the house and the suburban life, you know, the car, the house, the dog, the lawn. I wanted it all, and now I have it. So I'm going to go back on the road a little more now. So I'm I'm looking at PCA, uh, whatever that $10 million guarantee is they have in Florida. That's like a $200 flight from me. So you have to go to the worst airport in the world, Fort Lauderdale, but – you know, I'll still probably go out there. And then uh, I think Los Angeles has something in March or something. And that's another, you know, that's a direct shot from San Jose. So I, I'm, I'm going to be looking at those. Well, that would be cool. If you do go out, we can maybe do, you know, a couple of uh, Ask Alex podcasts or when you're on the road, you know, over Skype, we can maybe do something like that when you're away. Yeah, that'd be fun. That's a great thing about this now, man. You just do everything on the computer wherever you're at. You can work anywhere now. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, we'll get the uh, plugs out of the way. And as I say, they're going to be shorter because uh, we're saying goodbye to Poker X Factor. They've changed their membership now. You no longer pay for signing up, which you used to. And obviously through one out, or we gave you guys $70 off. And now it's free 100%. Um, so there's no reason for them to sponsor us anymore. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know... Basically, what we're going to be doing is uh, getting you guys, you know, a lot of you already have taken lessons with Alex and stuff, but obviously Alex is still available for lessons, and he'll let you know how to contact him for them. And regards com and supporting, um, to play the tournaments where we'll be giving away tons more free prizes next year, and obviously the holiday special tournament coming up at the end of this month or first week of January, you know, to be confirmed sort of thing. Uh, you need to set up a William Hill account to play them. And all the details on how to do that are on oneouter.com. As long as you use one podcast, O-N-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, as the promotional code when signing up, uh, deposit £15 minimum it has to be now. Uh, deposit £15 and you're basically going to qualify for lots of bonuses, lots of extra stuff. I'll send you out a poker book direct to your house and lots of good stuff like that. Uh, Alex, how can people contact you for if they want to get private lessons or hear about your webinars and stuff? I know you've been doing a few of them recently. 
Uh, yeah, you guys, if you want to read stuff that I write and get a lot of free information, when we do my classes, I you don't even have to take notes because I just I'll grab 10 or 20 articles that I discuss the concept that came up and you'll just have a very well, I hope semi-professional article with all of the information in it. And of course, it helps for me to like show you a hand history examples as to, okay, this concept applies in this case because, and you need to look specifically for this. But a lot of this information is already out there. I think you guys help me out so much because I give so much away for free. Take advantage of that. Check me out on Twitter, at The Assassinato, my Facebook personal page, which has now become... I guess just an advertising vehicle at facebook.com slash assassinato. And, uh, oh, by the way, I want to thank you guys all coming out for the webinars. We did two of them and we practically sold out. I think a few people, uh, there was some confusion. Some people thought the second webinar was a continuation of the first one and they pulled out at the end. But you guys really came out in droves and it was so fun to talk to all of you. And for those that, you know, keep keep your eyes on the Twitter and all that because there's going to be another one. The the there's going to be new ones coming up. The last webinars went four hours and they cost ninety nine dollars. So for less than twenty five bucks an hour, you got to see my most private research, the stuff that I can't really express in an article. That actually does take three or four hours to express. And people were saying literally, this has turned their tournament game upside down. Look out for more of those. Our sign up for a personal lesson, slightly more expensive, and you can you can see this stuff privately. And we're we're gonna get there's a lot to there's a lot going on. And if you want to see more stuff I'm writing, check out PokerHeadRush.com and contact me for private lessons at AssassinatoCoaching at gmail.com. <gasps> okay, there we go. <laughs> yep, that's it. And okay, I think we should just get right into questions here because that was a good segue. One of these like little nice links that worked there. There's a guy that actually uh, was in the webinar and he's emailed in a question. So. We'll, we'll go with this one straight off. Um, this is from Edward Kilworth. Um, and he has, uh, well, he's responded to a question I said. I said, get in touch if you're loving poker, hating poker, uh, stuck on things, etc. And he said, well, I'm loving poker at the moment. I set myself a challenge on June the 1st. I put $10 into my account and implemented proper bankroll management for the first time ever. Amazingly, it's worked out. And this week's Alex's webinar gave me a new direction. More impetus and extra focus, culminating in my biggest score ever, second in the hot 330. Uh, question is, should I keep grinding and moving up the stakes, or should I stay at the micro level and invest some of it into coaching training insights uh, as a little treat for me? Is it possible to do both things? It is possible, and by the way, thank you for writing a comment that seems like something I would have written if I was trying to, <laughs> if I was trying to get people to go to my webinars. Thank, thank you so much. And he is a real person. It is not Alex. This was, <laughs> yeah. this was through face. <laughs> this was in the OneOuter.com uh, Facebook group, and you can see him there. Uh, it's, it, I think he has other friends and stuff. Edward's a real guy. <laughs> yeah, no. It, uh, well, it, there is. You you should invest some money in training because it, you described it as a treat to yourself, I believe. Are in I if you look at educating yourself in something you love as a treat, you're going to be on a great course. One of the things I love about my Costa Rican friends is how much they profess to love their studies, and they they do really well in everything they 
pursue, you know, and it's the same thing in poker. The guys who really love to study a lot of my Eastern European friends, a lot of guys from different parts of the world now, they're really kicking ass. So you really want to you want to invest in that, but you don't want it to be too much of your bankroll. Probably uh, a hot 330 second and that would be like a thousand or something that would that would be uh, 1.3 K ish. I think he, I'm not I think sure he told how many people they usually get. I think he told me 1.3k, and that 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 story right. seems to check out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you have like a thousand, if you have like a couple hundred bucks you want to spend, your best bet would be to sign up for a training website, and I would recommend Pocket Fives Training because it's the site I work for, and you can watch me play for a hundred hours. If you would like, it would be like sitting behind me for, you know, some of my private study sessions or some of my, you can watch me grind 10 KW coops. You can watch me as an experiment, try to play as many hands as possible in a 5k tournament. So there's just cold four bets and floats and everything, every hand. And you can watch me play. There's going to be some small stake stuff coming out. That's that's a really good place. Cost effectiveness, you should always go with a training website. You're never going to get that much access to good players for a cheaper price. And just so you know, I don't get anything for each sign-up of Pocket Fives Training. Pocket Fives Training compensates me well, but I don't – you know, if 50 people come from this podcast, I'm not going to see anything directly. So I, I really just believe in the product because this is the company I've been with since 2007 – and I've ha- I've had twenty you know a lot of offers to go to another site and I've never cared to just I really like the people and I really like the programming we're putting out so I'd really recommend that and uh, applications of No Limit Hold'em is probably the best poker book I've read in the last couple of years and that'll run you about forty bucks it's by Matthew Jonda and that's a He's a little more focused on balancing your range than I would like, but he explains a lot of things that really uh, open my mind to poker. And you'll you'll see kind of us overlapping with, you know, taking these simple mathematics and using it to realize a lot of the conventions in online poker are really uh, absurdly false. Yeah, yeah. So check out Pocket Fives Training, and uh, when the podcast is up on com, I'll put a link into that there and stuff like that. Um, is it free sign up there, Alex? Yeah. I I have no clue. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna right. lie. I'm not gonna lie. I have no idea. I I I think it's free to sign up, and then you pay a monthly subscription. Yeah, I'm sure I, it is because I had a trial one uh, when I did one of their tournaments, you know, they like the Pocket Fives Open or something. Oh, very good. Uh, I, I, I got like a free three months there and checked out some of your videos and stuff before we were recording. Yeah, they, uh, they, the give, away, they give away a lot of training. You know, you know, now that I think of it, I should be like, hey, you know, ha- hand me some free subscriptions for this for this uh, radio show. So you guys stay tuned. Let's see if I can schmooze with the higher yeah. ups. Schmooze away, schmooze away. <laughs> so, uh, well, well done, Ed, on your score and stuff. And uh, he's a big supporter of the podcast. I recognize the name from Twitter and stuff as well. And he played a lot of the tournaments we ran on William Hill. So, we hope to see you in the holiday tournament and the new tournament series next year. And if you guys have any ideas for next year's tournament series, um, anything you guys want to 
maybe think we could add or tweak or change the point structure or things like that. It seemed to run quite smoothly, and everyone that played them was, you know, happy. I mean, I checked the numbers. We had over 40 different players uh, take part in total, but some of the games were only had, like, 18 guys in it, 20-odd guys and stuff. So if we could get everyone, you know, really, like, to play. So we ran it on a Sunday night at 7 o'clock UK time. So if that's not, you know, I'll take a poll. If everybody emails me and says, make it on a Thursday night or make it on a Wednesday night and stuff, then I can change it. So um, if I don't hear from like a mass of people, then I'll keep it on the Sunday at uh, seven o'clock. But if, you know, it's the times or it's interfering with your grind and stuff like that, then, you know, let me know and we can arrange it for a, you know, a Monday evening or something like that when nobody else is doing anything. Um, okay, the next question. Let me see where we'll go. Okay, this is from Charlie Cairns, and it's uh, hi again. He's obviously emailed in um, before. I've been playing a lot of cash online lately, micro stakes, full ring, and I've been using a HUD for the first time tentatively to get used to it. I can manage maybe 9 to 10 tables. After that, it's just autopilot, and I make mistakes. Uh, stats I use are VPIP, PF, Prefab Raise, uh, Aggression Factor, and Went to Showdown. Can you discuss different player types so I can search out the fish? I will leave a table if I see the majority are under a VPIP of 20. I play a tag style, but I'm enjoying this learning curve. Thanks. Did, did he mention what stakes he's playing? Uh, micro stakes. Micro, so I micro stakes. Like maybe, yeah, 10, 25 cents, something like that. Okay, so uh, first things first, uh, I play like six tables when I do play. Now, I play higher stakes, so I don't really have a choice. I, I think it's absurd what I tried to do in 2012, which was 16 table, like $500 buy-ins. But uh, it, the thing to realize is when you're playing nine to ten tables, you're not really learning much. Now, that doesn't mean you're not making money. You could be printing money if you're on the right network. I, I didn't learn a damn thing playing on the Cake Network five years ago, but, you know, you wanted to be on every table they had. But the uh, – hold on, lost my train of thought. It'll come back. It'll come back. I would recommend uh, when you try to implement what I'm about to tell you, uh, try to play less tables. So you can really focus on getting the form right, and then you can expand how many tables you play again. Obviously, if you're playing for rake back and points and stuff like that, you do need to put the volume in. But if you're ever going to move up, you're going to have to you're going to have to practice your swing, as it were, a, li a little more conscientiously. Now, uh, to find the easy players to take money from, I really recommend. <coughs> Excuse me. A combinations of a combination of statistics, uh, mainly in preflop raise. Uh, when you see a preflop raise is higher than 25% from any position, that is massively hard to defend post-flop. That that person is going to be bricking 55-60% of flops, and I mean no pair, no draw, nothing. Not even like twos on a jack eight three board. They're not going to have a pair or a draw more than 55% of the time. Now, if you the size of the pot it needs to work about 50 percent of the time and your opponent's not going to have better than a high card more than half of the time this turns into a spot you can really take advantage of so 
And when I used to play cash games, I used to see a three bet of 8% and go, oh, yes, I'm going to ruin this guy way too wide. So a 25% opening range is, you know, you'll notice like the real grinders are kind of pushing that in the button. But a lot of these guys are playing a lot of tables like you and they're taking advantage of players that aren't as good as you. So they probably have an unbalanced style versus you that does really well to exploit the other 90% of the players. But you want to make sure that you're the biggest sinkhole that you could possibly be in their profits. So one way you do this is make sure they're raising too much. And the other thing you need to look at is their c-betting statistics. If they're c-betting 80% or more, that is wildly unbalanced. You'll notice a lot of really good cash game players are somewhere in the 60 to 65 percent of c bets that's really good that means one out of time out of three they bet they have a hand one time out of three they bet they don't have a hand and one time out of three they check and sometimes they have a hand and sometimes they're just giving up that's really hard to interpret but i don't think a lot of people still don't check give up and as much as they should but if you see a guy who is c betting 80 percent of the time or more well, logically, he's only hitting the board about 33% of the time. If you get a copy of Flopzilla and put a wide range of hands and see how often they flop, he's only going to connect with the board about a third of the time. So that leaves another 50% chunk where he's just c-betting with nothing or a hand that really can't take much heat. A check raise, or float, or raising this type of person really works well for you, especially if they don't have a good turn continuation bet. That means they... They're a real one-and-done type player that's trying to take advantage of rakeback and really basic players at minimal stakes. So check out that flop and turn C-bet. Raise, raise more on the turn if the guy goes bet-bet. Uh, or float more if the guy just checks the turn a lot. And, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that really prints money. And, and also, you know, when you hit a hand... Think about that flop and turn continuation bet. If the guy's C-bet is 80% and the turn C-bet is 75, if you call on the flop and fold the turn, you're just lighting money on fire because he always double barrels. You know this. Make a plan for the flop and the turn or don't deal with the hand at all. If you can do this, you're going to be saving bets everywhere. And just saving one or two bets per hour adds up to a lot of money over a lot of hours. And also, remember, if the guy checks back, if the guy has a C-bet of like 80% or 75%, usually that guy's checking range is stronger than his C-betting range. So if that guy checks back, don't get in this habit of, oh, he had so many things I was going to exploit, but he checked back. I guess I'll just leave the turn now because he's such an easy player to exploit. No, he, his checking range is most likely, uh, is most likely stronger than his uh, betting range. This is why... Durr, I, I noticed, uh, folded to a delayed C-bet like seven times at his WSOP final table because he understands this with most normal players. And I think it was actually a pretty good move. So obviously you can reverse this on me. Check back a lot of boards on me and you'll own me. But yeah, anyways, those, those really help. A lot of people like to focus on big three-bets and stuff like that. I'm not... Uh, uh, unless a guy flats a lot of three bets and folds to a lot of C bets, and those kind of people are getting rarer and rare, more rare and more rare. I don't, I don't know how to speak English, but it, you'll uh, it, you, taking them post flop and making plans for flops, turns, and rivers is where you're going to make them make the very costly mistakes.
Yeah, and I would say, just again, you picked up it at the start. The key thing there is uh, you said that you're using a HUD for the first time tentatively to get used to it, um, and you're playing 9 to 10 tables. I would probably really cut that down to, like you say, maybe like 1, 2 tables and just really look at the stats and get used to the HUD and where it is because I know when I first started using a HUD, my eyes were all over the place. There's no way I could play 9 or 10 tables and really look at you know the stats and effectively once I got up to it I was 20 tabling the 180 mans uh, with my HUD and doing it okay I mean like you say it was definitely some decisions you were just they were pretty standard it was like push fold you know and especially in those 180 man turbos but the, you were giving up what you were giving up you were getting in volume so your ROI was coming out at like you know whether it was like 15% something like that but yeah, at the start, there's no way I could play nine to ten tables using a HUD for the first time. The first time I looked at the HUD, it was like yeah, the fucking numbers on the matrix coming down <laughs> or something on the screen. It's what is like, what is all this technicolored shit, man? Get it yeah. off my screen. Oh. Yeah, I was like, I wasn't wanting more fields. I was like, remember saying to you like, yeah, I just want what I need here for these one eighty mans. I was like, right, I need VPIP. I need preflop this and that. You know, I was like. The basics. I was trying to strip it back to the bare minimum to make a, you know, a positive ROI at those games. Right, and I mean, this is kind of why a lot of people end up hating poker, is you know they just play tables for the volume, and you know that makes money for a while, but you, you know the edges you're pushing become smaller and smaller. So any, you know, any ver uh, any any variation in your game is going to affect you quite a bit. So, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you know, there's a lot of guys I know who play 16 tables and just print money and, you know, own three houses and go to the opera and stuff. But <laughs> it's uh, it, it, it's not very common anymore. And a lot of the young guys I know who are just making a lot of money at this game are playing less tables. I used to, when I talked to Barry the first time, I was like, play as many tables, put in the hours, you're going to make money. Because that's how I came up. This is how most of my friends came up. That's not working anymore. That just doesn't really do it. Check out, okay, here's a bunch of articles for follow-ups on this because we only have a limited amount of time here. Look up on Bluff Magazine. Uh, I just put out an article about playing less tables, playing the right tables, focusing more. It's called Right the Ship. It's a bit about coming out of a downswing, but also it's about my journey in 2012 of making 100000 at the beginning of the year dumping 160 and then winning the W coupe and coming back for a very mediocre year. And <laughs> it was all, all that money I lost was just playing too many tables. Even though from 2006 to 2011, I played, I, I was playing 13 tables back when people thought four was a heavy load. So if I'm telling you to play less tables, please listen to me. So write the ship on bluff for a guide on how to use HUD statistics beyond some of the more advanced ones we just talked about, which uh, do come up, but uh, look at uh, what do these numbers mean? Uh, Google Poker Head Rush, what do these numbers mean? And the other one was uh, you need two continuation bet statistics on Bluff Magazine. And for getting more out of your actual play, Google be your own leadership at pocket fives. And that's more about demanding more out of yourself, demanding more out of the HUD while you play and playing less tables and focusing more. Yeah. Lots of free info there for you. So uh, grab them. Hit the books, kids.
This is a meritocracy. Yeah. It's about who works harder. Carry on, Barry. That's it. And that's why I stopped playing. <laughs> <laughs> more money. Yeah, there's a lot more easy money in a lot of yeah. other places than poker. I totally understand. Uh, okay, the next one. Here we go. Um, hey, Alex, I'm a big fan, and I love this podcast. I sometimes listen to it while playing, and your opinions always make me happy, even when I'm running bad. I have two questions. Um, okay, we'll, we'll let him answer to since I asked to since he was so nice. Um, here we go. I've seen you saying nice things about Sagno lately, and you've also done a webinar on why he is right. Even though you are both great players, yours and his online graphs look very differently. Yours is... <laughs> mine, mine looks horrible. His looks amazing, right? But anyway. Well, he's, he's saying that, and yours is very swingy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sagno, on the other hand, didn't have almost any swings. What do you think differs you differs you and him and what makes his graph just rise and rise does he play more non-various poker and what do you think about passing up on spots that might be plus ev but are high variance in general i think well you're talking about pretty much all my work recently in poker um Pesegno, i a couple years back i started okay i just penned an article called tournament theory for bluff so look for that when it comes out and it, it it's going to be much I'm not really much of a talker. I've burned quite a few of those brain cells. I can talk a lot, and I think I have interesting things to say, but I'm not going to say this as well as I think I wrote it. But essentially, if you were managing a company, let's say Barry and I start a company in our garage, and we build up from $1,000 to $300,000 within two years. And then one day I go in and I go, Barry, we're going to move into a new market. You go, okay, you know, what's the risk, ruin? Tell me more about it. Well, if it goes wrong, we lose all 300,000. If it goes right, we get 650. So, well, what's our chances of this succeeding, Alex? About 50 50. Well, Barry would laugh his ass off. I mean, you know, get out of here. Like, if we manage this company picking our spots like we did for the first couple of years with our expanded capital, we're probably going to get to 650k anyway. And our risk of ruin will be less than 5%, not 50. Get out of here. 50 the premium we're being offered isn't enough. And you think about okay, if you if we made this table, Barry, and we put Phil Helmuth, Victor Blom. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to say it again. Phil Helmuth, Victor Blom, Patrick Antonius. Uh, who's the other Phil? Phil Gelfond. Who's another Phil? Phil Ivey. And uh, Tom Dwan. Who would be the fish? Who would all poker critics say is the fish at this cash game table? Helmuth. Helmuth. Everybody would say Helmuth. And yet, he is the only one at that table who has a Hold'em bracelet. And it's not Tom Dwan and Phil Ivey are not playing. They have multi-million dollar bracelet bets every year, and they play every WSOP event. And yet Phil Helmuth has found a way to win 11 of them, one of them being WSOPE, which is probably one of the toughest tournaments ever played with all the burgeoning European talent. Could it be that his agonizingly annoying style of weighing every, tur every decision's tournament ramifications is what makes him so successful? And perhaps Patrick Antonius's and Victor Blom's and Phil Ivey's you know, kind of that, that predatory style that, you know, like take any edge and if it doesn't work out, I'll reload, which 
kills other people in cash games is what kills them in tournaments. When you play a tournament, when you play a tournament, you are given it's basically a business growing competition where you get a finite number of decisions. Your idea is to last the longest. The way to last the longest is to make the most out of every decision you've got because you only get a finite number of them. The game doesn't go on forever. That being said, remembering that's our initial mission. If we put everything down somewhere within the first third of the game and we don't have much of an edge, we're not just risking our chips. We're rich. We're risking all the chips we would have earned in the next two thirds of the tournament. Should we have held on to those chips? So you really have to know what you're doing. And, for this reason, I think it's much more important we pursue small pots, smaller edges. And this is something – I started getting into this in 2012. We're almost in 2014 now. And Pisegno wasn't the name he is right now. But I was looking at his graph, and I was listening to everybody rabble on about him. I was like, I think this guy's a genius. I, uh, this guy focuses on these little bets all the time. He three-bet folds – 14x he raised folds from nine big blinds he does these little check raises he does these little flop leads and yeah he screws up a lot but he's not afraid he doesn't care what other people think about him and those little investments protect him from losing the big investment and phil Humyuf plays a similar style and one has been the number one now 2012 people were still making fun of him and Phil Hellmuth is arguably the most successful no limit hold'em tournament. It would be between him and and Barry speechless. Barry, can you hear me? Yeah, oh. two seconds. You're breaking up there. Oh, um, how about now? Yeah, it's it's cool now. I can hear you. We had little bits just of the last few minutes. So you were saying like Hellmuth was the you know the best player of 2012, I think, and uh, Negrano. You just like break up. I think it's your connection. Oh, it's my connection. At what point did it break up? How much did you hear of the last? Uh, we heard, we heard about, we we heard most of it. It was just like a little, you know, slight blip, and then you came back. You oh, know? okay. So it was just the, just the odd word. I mean, I think people will get the the majority of what you said there, and also, you know, you were saying you just led on to saying Helmuth was player twenty twelve, and then you would have. Daniel Negrano, you were about to say something. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay. So probably the two most successful No Limit Hold'em tournament players are Negrano and Phil Helmuth. And if you think about it, Negrano has never been a three-better. He always takes the flop and he always takes another edge later, a much more exacted edge, a much more a, – a much – more certain edge because he understands if he risks all of his chips on one of these couple percent opportunities if he's wrong he's sacrificing all those future opportunities so looking as someone who's a fan of poker and as someone who has a graph that looks like a i don't want to advocate any style that made me a lot of money when i was younger also ruined me and ever since i've to a more, you know, like let's exact small edges game, it, a game that people are, you know, like Pasagno's friends, like, you know, kind of like tease me when they see at, see me at tournaments. Like, ah, oh, you think you're Pasagno now, huh? But <laughs> it, it, that magically I've won my first live tournament. I won a W coupe. I, uh, I, I haven't lost money. And like, I haven't had one of my downswings. I used to always have a downswing. 
you know, and I, I'd lose six figures and I make it back live or online or something. But you can look at my stars graph. It's just ugly. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I would just, you know, I, I, the reason I like Pusagno so much is it's a lot of the things I want to focus on. And he, I, I love his humility, how he plays smaller tournaments and stuff. Although I could never 24 table or whatever it is he does. And just as a sort of uh, rule for life and doing well in any subject or area, they always tell you to go against the herd. And if the herd are all doing the same thing, then it's guys like this that do come out and don't care what the masses are doing and find their own little things. It's always them that do really well. Exactly. And it's like huh? it, it would be the equip us quipping about Pasagno's long success. It would be the equivalent of an average tennis player going <laughs> It's so pathetic how Roger Federer does a one-handed backhand. You know, yeah. it's like no, that he's he he's doing something different. It obviously gives him flexibility and options. So we should yeah. we we should we should be a little more humble. Yeah. Uh, well, while the connection's staying stable, uh, we'll give him his next question. Uh, this is again from Martin. Uh, what is the bankroll management rule you are or were using playing online MTTs? In one of the previous podcasts, you mentioned something like you have to be very careful with a bigger bankroll. What do you think is a wise number of average buy-ins to have when you have a 35k bankroll? Do you think it's clever to play all the major tournaments, Sunday Million, etc., on Sundays since swings and MTTs can be huge? Well, we know what bankroll he has now. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, Where do you stay, Martin? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, the... Well, the reason I say it's it's much more important to protect a bigger bankroll is it takes a long time to rebuild. I had uh, privately my view is somebody described it. How I heard somebody ask Eric Sheets Haber how he, you know, how he makes money, how he made money back in and how he did in MTTs. And he said, have a pornographically large bankroll. And I think that's pretty much the best way to sum it up. You want to have so many buy-ins, you don't worry about it. Now, that threshold is different for everybody. I had a buddy who, you know, he lived at home. He didn't really care about money. He'd never worked a real job in his life. If he went broke, he could get back in, and that didn't seem like a big deal to him. So he played with 100 buy-ins. Now, you know, I you know, I paid my rent, and, uh, uh, you know, back in the day, I had to pay my rent and help out my mom and pay for my sister's studies and pay – you know, and I didn't have, uh, every time I go to the doctor, I have to pay out of pocket to an American doctor, which is pretty much robbery. And I needed a lot of money on hand. So my rule was 200 buy-ins. Now the games are so tough. I would say if you could have 300 buy-ins in your role, that would be excellent. Although 200 is pretty protected. And if there's a few majors that are beyond your role, so you would be at like, uh, you would be at 160, uh, like 175, would be 200 buy-ins for this guy. So obviously that's out of reach for the Sunday majors. So you got to make a, you know, you got to cherry pick, like what are the best Sunday majors I'm going to play? Or maybe, you know, maybe on Sunday you play a lot of bigger buy-ins, play less tables, but during the week you focus on those $50 six maxes on 888 and a bunch of other tournaments I shouldn't say you should focus on because they're pretty soft. But you focus on more, you know, like $10 rebuys or something to bring your ABI well down. And then, you know, you can grind out a steady income during the week. And then, 
you know, you take your shot on the weekend and if it works out fine, if not, whatever. And that's a pretty keeping 200 buy-ins in my role. Uh, I, I did this even when I had, you know, I obviously just took shots with my first $50, but once it turned into 50, I was like, okay, game set and match 200 buy-ins and I'm never going to go broke. And I've, I've never deposited in my life because I use this, like your risk of ruin goes way down when you use this bankroll strategy. Yeah. I mean, I think that what will hit a lot of people there is someone, like we're assuming this guy's got 35k bankroll. And, um, you know, if you when you do think about it, you're not really rolled to be playing the Sunday majors every week. Certainly not the warm-up, the million, and whatever else, you know, the second chance and stuff. And you would be amazed how quickly you could probably rattle through 35k in the Sunday majors. There you go, yeah. And it's one thing if you, like, four-table, if you go, okay, I'm going to play the Sunday warm-up, the Sunday million, and the 215 on iPoker and the 215 on party, and that's it for the day. It's like, okay, well, you know, $860 would still be a pretty significant chunk of your role each weekend, but, you know, if you're grinding during the week, you're going to get a lot of little scores that will offset it, but a lot of people want to put these four tournaments in and then play six other tournaments. It's like, yeah. so and they're booting up one Oh nine turbos when they're like in the money of the million. So it's like, they literally have a stack that's worth like $800 and they're grinding this one Oh nine turbo on the side to make $2 an hour offsetting their pay, uh, their patience, their focus and all this when it comes to the Sunday million, do yourself a favor, learn more about poker and focus more. Yeah. Okay, Martin, so uh, good luck and uh, get in touch with us um, and let us know how much your bankroll is in a few months uh, after listening to the advice on the podcast and stuff and hopefully you're, you're asking questions about 100k bankroll. Um, okay, the next guy, this guy's emailed in four questions <laughs> and I, I said, you know, we're going to try and answer them and stuff and um, we should be all right for time, I think. I think we've done about 40 minutes just now. All uh, right, recorded. yeah, we're good. So, we're good. We're I think good. we're good. I think we're good. Uh, hi, Barry. Hope you keep the podcast coming. Alex is a fantastic guest. The last one was too short. Oh, well, there we go. We need to do longer <laughs> on this one. <laughs> uh, I never took poker seriously before I started listening to your show and then started watching all Alex's videos. I'm tearing up here. That's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Now I... Now I have found a real passion for the game and I'm studying intensely. Alex is brutally honest, sincere and self-deprecating approach in videos and interviews is refreshing. Did you write this one, Alex? Yeah, Seriously. I did. I did. <laughs> I did. Me, me and my assistant, we did. His, his 21 episode hand history review on Pocket Fives of his 5K run is just epic. Anyway, few questions for your consideration. Does Alex feel he has lost a competitive edge by making videos and exposing his game and think thinking to a wider audience? That's the first one. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, there's definitely people that watch those videos and go like, oh, I think I could take advantage of this. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it, it's something like I can tell you how to do it, but... I never went to school, but I imagine somebody could really rush through telling me about applied physics. I, I wouldn't know how to do anything or calculus or something equally difficult. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of people who 
I, I think play better and it, that does hurt me a little bit but at the same time I would have I would be nowhere in my game's development if it hadn't been for making those videos and doing those lessons and because every day you wake up and watch Hannisteries for two hours, and if you don't say anything interesting, this person is not going to pay you. And not only do you have to say something interesting, it has to work. If it doesn't work, they're not going to work with you anymore. They, they are paying you probably too much for a professional consultation, and if you do not deliver, they will not ever consider you again. And that's that makes you wake up and go, okay, you know, you look at a situation for the 20th time and you go, you know what? I know it's going to work here. I've never thought of it before, but, but since I've seen this damn problem 20 times, I have an idea. But if you just play and never think about it, you're never going to get anywhere near what you could be. So no, I, I think I've gained a competitive edge by doing it. I'm sure there's times people own me. People own me every day, but it, Overall, like how I deal with 99% of players, I think my game has gone way, way up. And I, I really, I talk to a lot of like really top regs and they go like, every time you're at my table, I rip my hair out. I just, I don't want to deal with you. And I, that's a huge compliment because I, I don't think I have the feel. I think I've, I, you know, I've just been grinding around since 2006. I, I was never like, you know, flat. I never like just came out and had a, had a you know just i didn't really i wasn't below above i never had like just some innate sense it was all hard work so i think it's a good testament to you know my having my students follow me and all these fans and stuff too like you don't and having a wife and good friends and stuff i i it also keeps me like way more on my game like way way more than when i you know, it was just living on my own and not, you know, didn't really care. And the money didn't really mean anything. So, no, it's helped me gain a competitive edge. Ha! Anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose a lot of people tell you for a good exercise of poker is to think through the hand and talk aloud, you know, to get the thinking process. And if, if you're sitting daily doing that with people effectively, talking about your thinking process, then it's going to make you even work on your own game, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it, it really, I, I just love how much it demands of me. And I love, like, I love these kids from Latvia and Estonia who are just so well-read and go, what about this? What about that? What about that? And if I don't, <laughs> if I don't have the whole picture painted in my head, I'm not doing my job. And it's just, I realized the other day, I never really feel uncomfortable when I play anymore. And that was a huge problem for me for years. Like I, I, I have such low self-confidence. It is insane. I like, I, I cannot tell you how many times I felt owned and walked away from a table in shame at some stupid bluff. But it just occurred to me the other day, like, I don't really fear anybody. I'm sure I would fear Phil Ivey, you know, or somebody like that. But the, the hard work really does, like, once you stop seeing situations where you're like damn i have no idea what to do here or if you do see see a situation and go well if i mess up here i know how to go home and figure out what to do the next time you'll you'll feel much better you'll feel like you're not just walking in without your armor to get slaughtered check out check it's an example of a hand i had no your connection dropped big time there. We just got check out. Check out. Okay. Check out WPT Magazine straight on the board. 
it's an example of a hand I completely butchered, but I went home and had tools to look at it, and now I have a play I'm probably going to use for the rest of my life. And I probably shouldn't give those out, but, you know, until I win something huge, nobody's going to pay attention to me except for the good fans like you guys. <laughs> okay, so... um all right, next question. Uh, what other poker video trainers do you recommend, Alex, besides Ape Styles? I'm exhausting his back catalog rapidly. I, uh... I, I, I'm not supposed to say some of the other ones, but... It, oh, wait, no, I can. A few of them... No, no, I'll, t I'll tell you all the ones who have really inspired me. Uh, Vanessa Selbst on Deuces Cracked had some... Uh, along with DJ Sensei. Uh, DJ Sensei was just so, I know he's not really like super well known, but his teaching style was so conducive to widening your mind. And, uh, they had a Dutch gentleman who did a series called the thin red line, uh, that, that really opened my eyes to how you could use statistics, but those are a bit dated. Haha. -ha. See how I put that caveat from our competition. But really, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I ha I haven't been on Deuces Cracked in years, so I, I really don't know. But it, uh, it would be pretty disingenuous to only recommend my own site. But Matthew Jonda on Card Runners, it is going to school. You are going to class. You are going to Poker University. You are going to be bored. You are going to be very confused at times. You're you're going to have to watch it again and again. It can be nauseatingly boring, but when you're at the table and you have this sicko play that he taught you that's just printing you money, you're going to really appreciate that you watched him. And, uh, you know, uh, Gags30 is really good for a solid style. He's on Pocket 5's training. I'm trying to think. They got a lot of guys like that on Pocket 5. Pretty much the best, like, tournament talent is uh, on Pocket 5's training. There's a lot of guys I really like watching. And, like, Never Scared B is just batshit insane. So you, you could – you know, you got you got me who I, I'd like to think there's some sense to a lot of what I do and not as much of a feel game, but it's a lot more aggressive. There's Ape Styles who's just extremely patient and uh, conscientious of the people around him. And then you have Never Scared B and USC Fildo uh, – final guy who final tabled is on there uh oh colin yeah. is he an instructor on pocket fives yeah he he was he's uh he uh, was I, yeah. I think i think he stopped making videos but they you know you you get a lot of different styles and you know most of my training video watching comes from uh pocket fives training oh also timex and moment mori made a series on card runners it's and anything those guys do together is excellent all those uh all those Waterloo kids and Mamet Mori, like just very thoughtful style. Not and it's a lot different than mine because they they choose to do it in universal replayers, so they're kind of giving you everything you could think of beyond a HUD. And uh, Will Ma does some really good videos. I, I like him. And the idea is to get a really wide variety of styles. Like I'll, you know, never scare B and me might show you the more adventurous ideas, but you know. Timex and Memen Mori are 500 times more successful than me, and they're they're considerably more thoughtful. I don't know would be the word. They're they're, they're definitely a little more careful than I I am. And you know, and then you have a guy like Ape Styles who's right in the middle, who I think might be one of the best MTTers online. Just watching all of them and take notes. Make sure you take notes. It's a class. 
and write down, you know, highlight things. I'm going to try this my next session because it does no good for uh, one of these guys to show you their backhand if you don't go and pr practice a backhand a hundred times at your local court. Yeah, get your reps in. Get them yeah, in. Get it all in. Okay, the next question. Uh, does Alex feel there is a golfing class now he's playing lower stakes MTTs compared to what he's been used to? Or is he surprised by the standard at even lower levels now? I, uh, I'm i not playing lower stakes anymore, but I, uh, it was fun. It was really fun playing lower stakes, and uh, people are pretty damn good. They're, uh, I wanted to motivate my horse, and I was like, we're going to do a lower stakes competition, and I had no money online, and it looked like I wasn't going to have any money online for a couple months. So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to run this up like I used to always do. And I ended up making like a thousand dollars, but Jesus, like people can play now. And if they, if they can't play, they still like get in your way. You know what I mean? They, they, they don't like just lay down and, uh, let you run over them anymore. So I was about to say something way more vulgar, which I didn't realize. I thought so. <laughs> I, I felt it coming. I, I, yeah. it was, That's a Freudian slip. I felt it, it coming. It's, <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> phrases like when you're talking with your friends, you say all the time, and it's not till somebody else is listening. You go, holy God, that is vulgar. <laughs> like, But anyway, uh, no, I mean, people play really good, but people are much more easy to exploit. The biggest problem with low stakes tournaments is the blind structure. I played mostly on stars because I was like, okay, I'm going to load up on tables here, but you're just really short a lot of the time deep. And yeah. you know, this is good for them. They keep as many low stakes players getting raked as long as possible, but you don't want to be part of that trend. So when I did play on like eye poker and party and eight, 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 and if you're really adventurous and feel like gambling, some of the American sites, uh, not the legalized ones. The well, although isn't Ultimate Poker somehow associated with Ultimate Bet or something? I like don't. I don't know what the script is with America just now. It's like some guys are contacting me. Yeah, they're playing fine. Other guys they can't play at all. Other ones they're playing everything. So I think it's a real wild west uh, time over there. Yeah, it's a yeah. And if you but the thing is, you go to the. You know, I used to play a game with drug dealers where people would whip out shotguns, not because I wanted to, but because when the dude was high, he'd drop 3K and not remember it the next day. And, <laughs> you know, I, certainly I would never go back to doing that now because I have higher standards for my own safety. But, it, it, you know, you go to where the money is. You don't go to stars where every dumbass is, you know, who, uh, who every... I was going to say something depreciating about another site, but I'm not going to. You can all you can all guess. Every dumbass who has seen a few things on a training website goes and doesn't play that bad. Plays okay. You want to go to the sites where people come in off sports books and they're just gambling. And then you got to have a high tolerance for goofy stuff because it's going to happen. Yeah, well, one of those sites uh William Hill. Oh, is good. fantastic. That... <laughs> Tell me about William Hill. <laughs> well, you know, because that's, I mean, one of the biggest bookmakers in the UK. So lots of people have got sports accounts and stuff like that. They do the football betting, etc. And a lot of them jump into poker. I mean, even recently, I was playing some heads up cash for the first time in ages. And it was ridiculous. It's it was it glorious. was like free money. It was like it, free it's money. glorious. Yeah, I, lo I love that site so much people were just 
throwing money at you know i was call call just getting it in (laughs) you know just it was i mean it was like a guy just emptying his account you know so um yeah get a william hill account sign up use promotional code one podcast o-n-e-p-o-d-c-a-s-t deposit 15 pounds and you'll get to play all the uh one outer tournaments lots of things i'm going to do a big uh giveaway thing as well we're going to work something out with uh I'm thinking like maybe another couple of lessons with Alex or, you know, poker books, good poker books, things like that. Or like even a credit, you choose the poker book you want from Amazon, I'll order it and get it shipped to your door and things like that. But I'll do all the info for this on Twitter and the one out of Facebook group. So, um, yeah, just as you were talking about uh, nice sites to play on there, Alex, I had to mention our sponsors, William Hill. Pretty sneaky. (laughs) Pretty well done. No, no, that was – no, that's a really – really good point i mean that can help us and also go on a site i fart around on most of the time anyways continue okay so the last question is um because the connection has went a few times but it's holding just now so i don't <laughs> think we should i don't think we should push our luck i think it's yeah. this is a good this is a good way to end it on as well um the last question and it's by sholto again how ma- how have MTTs changed since Alex started making videos five years ago? I I mean people are a hundred times more educated. I, I I could if you could tie your shoes two times out of three, you could make money at party poker in two thousand six, and it's just you know you have to be like a college student now. Actually, you don't even I I don't know. I a lot of my friends that go to university tell me like. You know, they're like off for summer in like April and they go back in October. So maybe not even university. It's it it really you have to realize it is a meritocracy. It is whoever works the hardest rises to the top. And some of my students play. There's one who literally studies 50 hours a week and plays 50 hours a week. And I didn't believe him until I saw the product of a guy who, you know, after one year knows pretty much everything anyone's ever said about poker. But a lot of these guys, they see the money they can make in U.S. dollars, and they're working med school hours. And that's what you're up against. So now there's still a lot of guys that just fire it in and don't care, but you need to identify them and get them, get their chips as fast as possible. You can't play standard jam rejam style. Everybody understands that now. You have to work harder. And I, I don't know. People are just a lot more balanced. Like there were always trends when I was growing up in poker. Like I remember it became hyper cool in 2007 to three bet bluff people. So uh, malicious two, two, two just said Alex four bet jam on everybody to me. And I just thought it was fun. And it, it was amazing. how I got a fold like 80% of the time back then. And then like three bet bluffing wasn't cool for a little while because of that. And then like little hold them, use that tactic to great success and then you know and then eventually it fluctuates back and forth to now you get a lot of guys playing like equilibrium poker but that's not that's not what what's going to make you money you're my game is wildly exploitable if that's my favorite word wildly but it's wildly exploitable if you know what i'm doing but 99 times out of 100 the guy i'm playing against doesn't have an idea He's just, you know, he's firing chips in. And most people are playing their hands. You want to make sure you're playing theirs. Your hand is easy to play. It's right in front of you. But, yeah, 
MTTs are much more competitive. There's a lot of times I go, why the hell am I still playing these? Why didn't I learn? But you go into cash games, there's still a lot of money to be made in MTTs. I love tournaments. And I, you know, I mean, there's no cash game in the world. Like when you're at the final stages of a big tournament, you're, you can effectively be playing 200, 400 with a guy who's played poker for three months. That, that just doesn't happen in cash games as much anymore. And it, yeah. it takes a real nuanced style to learn how to get to that final table. So it's still a great enjoyment for me. I think that's a good note to go out on, huh? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the connection has been a little bit touchy just now, but when I'm based in Scotland and uh, Alex is in Costa Rica and this is over Skype and it's free, we hope that the odd little word that was a bit like, ah, bah, bah, like that sort of thing. <laughs> We shouldn't put up, but uh, we got most of it, and then a little bit, uh, Alex went back and uh, repeated it. And you're all smart guys. You'll be able to work out what uh, what Alex is saying anyway. Um, so just in closing, uh, Alex, you want to say anything? Check me out at facebook.com slash assassinato, Twitter at the assassinato. Email me for private lessons, uh, assassinatocoaching at gmail.com, and read all the random free crap I write in articles at pokerheadrush.com. And check me out at Pocket Five's training. Over, I think it's like over a hundred hours of me playing. You heard the, you heard the people. I didn't write those comments. People were really writing in. They love those videos. Check them out. They're worth your time. And I can vouch that uh, Alex didn't write any of those comments. Uh, <laughs> I wrote, I, I wrote them off. Yeah, no. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you knew how to uh, pump up the show. Yeah. These are genuine people, and they're all part of the Facebook group, which is, again, another smooth link I've just done there. Like us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash outer, and join the private Facebook group. Uh, just click join, and I will accept you within, like, 24 hours usually. That is available at facebook.com slash groups slash outer. Uh, search it on Facebook, one outer, and you should be able to find it that way. Any problems... Uh, tweet me at oneouter.com. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M. And get involved in the William Hill account stuff. All the details are on oneouter.com. Again, any problems, email me personally, barry at oneouter.com. I'll take your questions for Alex for the next show. Any help setting up a William Hill account and getting involved in the tournaments that are coming up, uh, just contact me. I've, I've got time on my hands to help you with all that stuff. And hopefully we will be doing another Ask Alex. Uh, this one today is the 5th of December. It's being recorded on. And this should be up on the site in a few days. And we're looking to do another one in December as well. And that will be the Christmas special, we like to call it. Yeah. Uh, the, the Christmas episode. So we'll see if I can come up with anything, uh, any cool giveaways or anything like that. Likely you'll need to set up a William Hill account to get involved. But hey, you know, it's Christmas. Everybody help each other out. And yeah. um, we'll hopefully see you for that one and see a lot of you in the holiday tournament coming up. And thanks for all the questions and keep them coming in. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Take care, guys. <laughs>